All right, I'm Bryce Hancock, and this is Mile High Recovery Chat. I'm here with Rich Ross. Hi, Rich. What's up, Bryce? What's up? So I've known Rich for many, many years. Probably, I don't know, how long have I known you, dude? Probably 20 years. All right. Yes. Two, two decades. That's a long time. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, and so how long have you been sober? Well, the first time... Uh, <laughs> I was sober about 13 years from 19 to about 32, 33. Oh. And then I, then I, you know, started thinking I had uh, everything under control and just kind of started lightly and worked my way up to another mess um, till about 2012, um, January 20th, 2012. So I'm, I'm almost, uh, I'm over nine years. That's good. That's so awful. you, you had like a, what was your catalyst? I think, let's just talk about it. You had a DUI or something, right? You know, looking back, the DUI at that time was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Really? It, it was the worst timing. I was going through custody stuff and mm. I didn't have a gig. I, you know, life was uh, pretty close to rock bottom before I got the DUI. And then I got it. So I tried to definitely figure out ways to get around it. And, you know, you call the phone number in the morning and you have to call in every day and you go in and you, <clears throat> you have to blow certain days or pee in front of the guy, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was always, hey, the first time took a little while till I warmed up to him, you know, <laughs> he's like, yeah. we talked and I was just like, I can't even believe I'm going through this, especially at this time in my life. But now I look back and it probably saved my life. It was the best 12 grand I ever spent. Yeah. Is that how much you spent on that DUI? Did you get an attorney? Yeah, I got an attorney. I tried to fight it, you know, cause none of us are guilty and uh, you know how it is. I mean, yeah, you got caught. you're pissed off. You got caught, right? Yeah, I was. And I, I didn't even drink that much that night. Um, but you know, looking back, I was very fortunate that, to have the experience. And I, I tried to fight and get out of all this stuff, but I, I just, once I embraced it, there was a couple of things that happened. Our teacher in the alcohol class had told a story and I was always curious. She kind of had a limp and, and you know, she's a really nice older lady and um, very soft-spoken and she had kind of a limp. And I was like, what is her relation with doing this class, this alcohol class? And I had never really learned about alcohol and the effects and you know, that kind of stuff. I was so young the first time I started drinking and the second time, you know, I'm 38 or, you know, whatever. So it's, uh, you know, I, I've had way more sober years than I have drinking years in my life. But this lady told a story and I'd never forget it. And uh, she said uh, she was driving down the highway in Dallas and there was a guy sitting in the middle of the highway and, uh, and he was drunk and he tried to commit suicide by hitting someone head hitting someone head on and it was her oh and that's why she has the limp and she dedicated her life to you know trying to help people get through alcoholism and not drink and drive and i just thought she was a really neat lady and i embraced the program when you hear powerful stories like that, or you're sitting in there and you, you, I, I, did you get a DUI? Did you go? Oh to, yeah, two. I had yeah. two DUIs, so I've been through the class twice. Yeah, it's pretty powerful when it's going around and some lady says, "Yeah, I killed some people," 
and then you know the whole place goes quiet and i'm thinking that could have been any any of us who have have been drinking and driving and stuff i didn't realize you know hey i think when you're drinking a lot you're really selfish you know in, a, in so many ways and yeah you're only thinking of uh yourself and not the issues and dangers you're putting you know in people around you and and it also it just brings out such a side of us that's so it's so ugly you know they always say uh a drunk man's words are a sober man's thoughts it's always yeah. interesting when you're hanging out with someone that's drinking and they say some crazy stuff and you're like <laughs> <laughs> when i'm guilty of it well yeah no i got two duis and then my last one i mean my experience with it was one, I wasn't ready for recovery. And two, nobody in there was ready for recovery. Uh, yeah. It's like you just go around, you know, from person to person to person. And it's like, uh, Bryce, good week. Uh, no drinking, no drugs. Um, yeah, that's it. Good week. And then you go to the next person and they say the same bullshit. And the next person says the same bullshit. Yeah. And then you kind of go around, you stick to the script, right? Um, and then at one point, I remember talking to the guy. I was like, I think I got a drinking problem. Should I go to AA? And um, he told me this story. And this guy, like my teacher was like 300 pounds. And I'm not trying to be like mean to anybody that's 300 pounds. But this guy was like 300 pounds. He was in one of those motorized carts. He always had like one of those 64-ounce big gulps. He smoked. And um, he he was really grumpy all the time. Like he didn't like his job. He didn't like alcoholics. And he told us this story. And he point and he told me the story. And it pointed to the uh, they had like steps on the wall because it's alcohol class or whatever. Right. And he said, "You see step one, and it says, you know, we admitted we're powerless over alcohol. Yeah. And and he goes, I'm not powerless over anything. And I remember thinking, this guy's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and in in retrospect, it's like he's not awesome. He was like really unhappy and unhealthy, and yeah. was probably alcoholic and really grumpy, right? And but so I stayed out for another ten years. I probably drank for another ten years before I finally got in the program. And so yeah, we uh, drank together. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, there's lots of pictures <laughs> of me and you with the toad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, lots. I almost of fell off the stage there playing with you guys one night. I was I could barely stand up. You really? Did you come play with us? Not one of my fondest memories. Yeah, I did. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah, I man. just got up and played a song somehow. Yeah. So yeah. you've had you've had a pretty good music career though. Like you played with the Samples for a long time, right? Yeah, that was in the '90s. I started with them. It, it was weird because um. I just remember living in Highlands Ranch and I was married and, you know, we, we had a son and I was clean and I was probably 25 or 26 and my phone rings and it's a friend of mine and he's a tour manager and he says, Hey, I want you to come play with the samples. Wow. And I was sober and, and it was the first time I only played with them for a few months then. And, but I went out and I, I just, you know, one day I'm laying in bed at home, no band next day I'm on, tour i learned 40 songs in like two weeks and so back then that's when they were like kind of big they were big right the samples were big then i think i would consider them still a popular band but there was something yes there was an attraction about them then there were lines around the building when we would pull up to venues i'd never been on a tour bus i'd never been on a real tour so i mean you know they made fun of me all the time and <laughs> like a party and 
I didn't party and I was married, but it was, it was the first time in my life that I truly felt freedom and happiness. And I knew that, you know, I, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I had spent so many years, as you know, playing Mm -hmm. in high school and junior high, and I was always in popular local bands, but once you get a taste of that and you get to experience being on stage and looking out and not knowing a person out there mm-hmm. and people are so appreciative. And, you know, I really bonded with Sean, the singer and uh, Rob uh, and the drummer uh, who I'm still in touch with all, I still play with them sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I wish it would have lasted longer at the time, but you know, I, my life is kind of all these weird chapters that have gone together and some are so amazing. And then when I make some bad decisions, they're not so amazing. Yeah. Chapters, but it was an, it got me going with them, but I have played with them off and on for 20 years now. And so that was a weird time, like our not weird time, but it was like, there was a bunch of bands, right? Like Hootie and the Blowfish yeah, and Dave, Dave Matthews band. band and a bunch of you guys. Right. And then like, Ready as Jones usual, band. Freddie yeah. Jones band, as usual, like some bands take off, some don't, you know, and there's a lot of luck involved uh, or whatever. Yeah. And your yeah. team, I mean, it, it just depends. You know, I can look at all of these different bands I've been in. I've, I've always, the late 90s changed my entire life because that's when I met a lot of these guys that were in big bands back then and, and people that are in my life now who became very well known in music. And it, it gave me the opportunity here in Denver, we're kind of on an island, but it gave me the opportunity to have these relationships and go out and spend time on the road with these guys and see what it's like and what's going on. And I, I guess, I mean, there were a few guys that were like mentors to me, definitely in sobriety, because I've had a friend that has 30 years of sobriety. And he's always, when I started drinking again, he he was the first one that kind of took note and said, hey, man, you know, don't let something bad happen to make you have to quit. He's like, there's a reason you quit the first time. Let's take a, let's take, you know, a look at that. And then the next week I got the DUI. Oh, you know, that's funny because you quit so young that first time. And then yeah. so you, you probably had the suspicion, well, maybe things were just going poorly and I'm not really alcoholic. Yeah. Well, you know, I think everyone questions that. Am I alcoholic? I hear it all the time. People say, oh, that guy's not an alcoholic or that guy's not. The alcoholic's always the last one to find out. You know, it's like, I mean, everyone around me knew, like, this guy's a wild, you know, drinker. Yeah. As a teenager. I mean, I, I grew up with alcoholic parents. You know, my, I don't know if you know this, but my mom shot and killed my dad when I was 12. So. Yeah, I heard that story. Is has not been, it was not something that was, that was laid out normal. It, I had band member friends raise me. I mean, it, it, it was very unusual and, you know, I'm grateful. I still have those same people in my life, but at 19, I knew my life was out of control. And like, if I kept going, I wouldn't probably live. Well, that's why it's referred to as a chronic disease. That means that it, once you cross a certain line, you can never go back. You quit yeah. for 13 years, picked it up again, and you identify as an alcoholic, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's so funny. We we try not to, right? 
no one yeah. wants to admit that. I mean, no one wants to be in a, you know, the program that I'm involved in has changed my life. I mean, and yeah. I, so I got sober in 2012 and it, it took, it took a little while for me to, um, kind of get a grip on things. I moved a few places. I, I left Denver and went to LA for eight or nine months and, then I came back to Denver, then I went to Tampa, and then I was still kind of finding my way. And then, you know, uh, some friends of mine were playing down there, and they said, you should come to Nashville, you should be playing music. And I always had the fear, once I got back involved with music, that, you know, I'll probably, you know, I didn't want to fall off. And I wasn't in a program then. But I did have oh, some yeah. kind of mentoring me around then, and and um, that, that I was very close with uh, and guys that I grew up idolizing. And that's a powerful thing. When you really look up to someone and you don't want to let them down, you, you try harder. And that's the great thing about being in a program is you've got a bunch of people around you that, that are there supporting you. But, you know, it, moving to Nashville, like, changed everything for me because it got my career going again. It got that excitement and the drive to play music and – I have, you know, I know everybody there. I was, I'm so fortunate to have all these awesome friends. <clears throat> and man, I started praying every day. I started breathing. I started trying to, you know, I've always worked out. I've always trained. And <clears throat> I was playing with everybody for a couple of years. And then the Freddie Jones band thing came up. And that's when, you know, I knew I had an opportunity to play music. I probably enjoyed playing a little more. Um, although I love playing with a bunch of those guys out there. But it's different being a side guy than being in a band. And I was just out in Nashville. I was I've been doing a lot of traveling lately, uh, you know, for for my treatment center job. But I'd never been to Nashville. It is a mecca of music. I mean, yeah. it's and everybody kind of knows that. Like, but I, until I saw like there was one street and there was just like I don't know, like thirty recording studios. Studio, 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 yeah. studio. There's so many musicians there, not just country, rock, um, yeah. like all kinds of musicians there. And I went to a party with Leo, you know, you know, Leo. Yeah, of course. And everybody at the party played music professionally yeah. for a living. Um, you know, well, I'll give you some interesting facts. Yeah. Uh, the, the average, I think it's 80% of the musicians there make under $30,000 a year. So, you know, that right there tells you what a tough industry it was. And, and I was, I played with a lot of big bands when I was there, but I was bare, I was like, you know, I've always kind of kept a side hustle going. I've been in the guitar industry or, I, you know, I teach lessons. I do whatever I need to do to kind of live the lifestyle I want to live. And um, definitely stopping drinking helped me live a much better lifestyle, but man, just digging in and really, focusing on not spending all that time in bars and Nashville was hard for me because I was two years sober and, you know, I lived with one of the guys from Luke Bryan when I first moved there and he, you know, did a lot of great things for me and introduced me to a lot more people. And it, that, that really got my confidence going and, and got me to focus and have that, that excitement and drive to play music again. And, and, you know, I'm so grateful that, He's the one that said you should move here. Nashville. To Nashville? Yeah, he was in Tampa. They were playing. 
and I was there and he goes, I don't know why you're not playing music. He's like, you got to move up to Nashville. And, and you know, a week later I did. And I was like, cause it, to me, my life since I sobered up is about experience. It's about the experience. It's about having joy in my life. I stopped chasing money. I stopped, you know, thinking that money was going to bring me happiness. And, and, you know, it's like you have this, you have this spiritual hole and we try to fill it with chicks and money and what, whatever you think that, you know, when the reality is, is you're just empty. And I lived my whole life that way. We grew up poor, you know, and I had years that I did really well financially. And then I had years that I did horrible. And then going through a custody thing, I mean, that pretty much wiped out everything I owned. That's never more. fun, man. Yeah. It took me 10 years to get out of that mess. And, and, um, you know, but it's, uh, who, who do I blame? You know, I blame me. I got myself into it. It was my decision. You know, I, my daughter's got a wonderful mom and, you know, I just try to be cool with everybody now and try yeah. to you know, open up. So let's talk about that because I know like I'm in a program. That's how I got sober. Um, and so like when you're alcoholic or you're addicted and you're in active addiction, taking the substance out is just the first part. Right. And so for me, you take the substance out and I'm like depressed, anxious. I hate everybody. <laughs> I'm miserable. <clears throat> and it's like, in retrospect, that's, I know what that is. That's untreated alcoholism, right? And you found a program kind of after you'd been sober for a little while, right? I'll tell you, I made a huge mistake because when I moved to Santa Monica, there was a, a meeting right around the corner. Um, Bravo. Program. And, uh, and you know, our friend Sonny does. The one at Bravo. Yeah. So I love the restaurant. I love that so, one. I so they that. told me, they, they a bunch of people said, you should hit this meeting over there. And I was like, you know what? I don't need that. I don't need any of that. Yeah. I got this. I talked to a couple guys in the program and, you know, I got this thing. And so I didn't go. And and looking back, I, I regret it. But I'm thankful. Sonny was that. on my show. Yeah. He's a great guy. He's a, he helps a lot of people. And that's what we're here for. Like, uh, there's something powerful about sharing experience and sharing, you know. It, oh, it, dude, it's huge. So who talked you into going? So this is what happens. Okay. Years go by. My career is going good. I mean, you've seen it all unravel. I mean, I'm so blessed to be living this life. And I've moved everywhere. I've, I've got the experience of living in all these different places. And so the... Everything's going great. And then the, the, I moved back to Denver because I start dating a girl here. And uh, I never really wanted to come back to Denver. I have a lot of memories here that probably aren't good for me. And, you know, this, my family was here. My dad was shot and killed down the street here. And just weird stuff that goes through your mind when you're driving around. And, you know, um, but I came back and I guess it was kind of to clear stuff up. And uh, that's kind of what I've been doing. The pandemic hits. Another friend of mine calls me one day and he says, "Hey, why don't you hop on this uh, this meeting tonight with us?" So I'm in the pandemic for a month, and I'm gonna be honest. I was going a little mad, you know, being home and everything I've worked for. I'm like, how long is this gonna last? Yeah. You know? And it's like, I man, I've worked so hard to get what what we've accomplished in you know six years, and it's 
I can't even explain the hours. Like I work every day and I put my heart and soul into it because I love doing it. And when this is over, the next thing's gonna gonna open. And that, that's how I live my life now. It's like, hopefully this isn't over for a while, but if it is, I'm confident something awesome is gonna happen after that. If I keep practicing, you know, these principles I've learned in my program and, and yep. keep working on myself. So you, you started doing the program, like, and you'd been clean, you know, you'd been not drinking for a long time. And yeah. so did you notice a difference? Like you got happier and you like listening to people and you meet friends and you feel that flow and like that spiritual practice and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I've been really good about going through life and wearing the happiness. Even when I was a teenager, I mean, kids that knew me didn't know what happened in my life. Kids at school, you know, because I was, I'm a happy person. But what I realized when I got in this program was that, you know, I, I remember I was nervous to even talk in there, but you have to share. And uh, I, one night I just shared the story and man, I've never seen faces stuck to, uh, you know, on the screen like that. After I was done, I mean, I connected with so many people called me and reached out and it was powerful. And I was like, I felt so much relief just getting it off my back and sharing it. And then other people are reaching out and they're like, hey, I, I went through the same thing. And, you know, we're it's a lot of musicians and, and different people in the arts is who my group is. And, and uh, you know, we kind of go through the same stuff. And they didn't have jobs then either because of the pandemic. Yeah. We're all going through that. And so when I started... Um, you know, working with someone and going through the steps, I realized that, you know, a lot of my life, I put the blame on everybody else. It was always someone else. And, and when in fact, it's just me, yeah. it's me. I'm always to blame. Like I'm, I'm the one it's, yeah. you know, I put myself in the situation. I make the decision. I don't get the results. It's, it's me. You know, yeah, I know. If you hang out in the barber shop, Bryce, you're going to get a haircut. Yeah, yeah. So I learned that a long time ago. So, you know, I had to change my whole lifestyle, who I hung out with, who I've had around. And I've always been the kind of guy I will be just as cool. I don't, I try not to put myself above anyone. And I, I will be just as cool to a buddy of mine that's in a big band or the Starbucks barista. And, you know, I try to treat everybody the same. I try to be the same guy at home. I want to be a real person. And, and, you know, a lot of the relationships I've had with people in my life are people that have had a lot of success and they're some of the most miserable people I've ever met. And it's sad to say that and see it. And, you know, it, the program has taken a lot of that anger that I had inside out of me, you know, and, and I can forgive people. And, and that's been a great thing too, is just making things right again. Um, you know, I, if I've wronged someone or did something in the past and, you know, I've never been a guy that like stole from people or did any of that. I've, yeah. I've always been like an honest guy, but you know, Hey, when you're, when you're hammered, you do crazy stuff. Um, so, you know, I've tried to like make amends with people and just be straight with everybody. And I'm not perfect. You know, I am in a band. I'm a little wild still, but it's uh, I try to maintain it healthy and, you know, I still want to have fun in my life and play music. And but man, it's a tough going out there, as you know, and being in, 
you know, on tour doing shows. And- it is tough. And like the, what the program does for me is it's like connection with other people, um, like a spiritual practice. It's a design for living, right? Yeah. Being humble, being teachable, helping other people. It's just like a better way to live than like from right here. Right. Like there's this whole like thing and a whole network and, um, just that spirituality. And then you get in that flow and the gratitude and, um, I still go like I can look back at periods of my life when I go to a lot of meetings, my life goes really smooth, you know, and I'm happier. And then I look back at times when I didn't go to a lot of meetings and I was just, it was just a little harder. And it's like the more I try to like the harder I try, the worse my life goes. Right. Well, it definitely, stuff definitely builds up and, and um, you know, it's for me, I, I can relate with that. I felt a sense of relief, you know, talking to people about stuff I've never talked to anyone about really. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of my close friends knew what I went through growing up and, and uh, just being able to, you know, have, have something, some literature to read and study and the pandemic, what it's done for me, it's given me every day to work on this. And then you realize how selfish we are as human beings. I mean, and, and the, you know, gratitude, I agree with everything you said. I mean, the more gratitude we have, the more I do for people and don't expect back. I mean, that's a very, very, uh, fulfilling thing in my life. It's, it feels great to help people. And I take the time for anyone, man. It's very law of attraction, right? Like what you put out, you get back. Gratitude reciprocates. If you're grateful for what you have, you're going to get more. You know what I mean? I believe that. And I I think I've watched miracles happen in this program in the past year. And I came in in a pretty decent situation, but mine was hidden inside. Yeah. Mine was all inside eating at me and bothering me and, resentments with everybody who I've had weird dealings with in the past. And I don't feel like I have any of that now. And if I do, I pull someone aside and I talk to them. You're lighter. You're freer. I get it, man. It's like, and it's like, you're right. You were, you didn't, you were, you were okay. Like you were kind of fine. Right. That's why I wanted to talk to you about your experience with it because I've yet to meet a person that that joins the program or does this program or however you want to, word it it isn't like happy they did it do you know what i mean yeah people like are very happy. intimidated before they go in and it's i've weird I've a lot of time talking to people and i've been told oh you know i'm not gonna that's a cult that's this that's that <laughs> but, hey let me tell you something i mean being a drunk is probably the the worst thing that i would rather be in a cult i would rather be in a you know i mean Living the lifestyle I was living is, I don't think there's anything that's much worse. I mean, that's something that's like, you're drinking poison and uh, it's it's just brutal. And yeah. I never, ever want to go back to that lifestyle because I've seen what's on the other side now. Yeah. And I try to help my friends suffering, but, you know, there's only so much we can do. It's like, look how many friends we've lost in the past year to alcohol. Just guys that you and I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. No, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people, it's a fatal disease, right? Chronic progressive fatal disease. It's also predictable disease. Right. And so it can be, it's, 
it's avoidable. It's preventable. You don't, you know what I mean? You don't have to go down the road. You just kind of have to do certain things. Most people don't want to do those certain things. Does static go to your group? Static is a very good friend of mine. <laughs> okay. I He's on here too. He's rad, man. Yeah, yeah. He's uh oh man, I got a whole bunch of people you can have on, and they're wonderful people. Really? And oh man, it's it, sharing the experience. I mean, look, if one person gets something out of this conversation, it's it's a win. Yeah. I mean, it's I can't I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me over the pandemic because I'm known as the sober guy the past nine years. And I mean, everyone from athletes to musicians to, you know, people I meet in the store. I talked to a guy at the food store, you know, that somehow I got brought up. I told him I'm a sober guy and I talked to him for 20 minutes, man. And and it's it is a very powerful thing that that takes us down. It is, you know, and like I'm eight years today. It's my eight year birthday. Oh yeah, happy birthday! <clears throat> Thank you. And it's weird. Happy birthday in that tradition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it is weird, right? It's like you're eight years old, um, but it's like my sobriety's front and center. Like I've like yours is too, but mine is like my career, right? Like it's like my identity now, yeah. which is kind of weird sometimes. You know, I don't know. Well, you're living it. And I mean, the, the only way to be, people always ask me, they're like, you know, I get so many emails and texts about like, hey, can you help me get in a band that's popular? Can you help me do this? It's like, when you want to do something, you just have to live it. Like everybody's like, how do you do that? I just live it. So whether it's sobriety, whether it's music, whether it's whatever I'm going to do on the side again, which I will have some kind of side deal going eventually i haven't the past few years because i was so busy in the band but the pandemic brought that back around i was like oh man i should have had something yeah and i saw your i think one of your last gigs it was at the soil dub it was your birthday right when's yeah. your birthday what's the date february 28th that was our last show yeah and then blam everything like changes and um it's over right like touring is over for everybody it's it's that done that night for me was one of the most special gigs that I've ever had in my life to have that date land in Denver, my hometown. You know, I just moved back and, you know, my girl was there. All my friends were there. You know, people came out to support the band. The show was sold out. And it was packed. Yeah, it was crazy. just, it was, and our singer, you know, he's, I'm very close with him. He, he just said some really kind things over them. We don't have anything scripted out. We just, we just go and, and, you know, just the feeling of that night was so amazing. And then a month later, the feeling was not amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was really weird. I got really kind of, yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh, and I was thinking, you know, I'm fine. We'll you know, this summer we'll start playing again. <laughs> Then summer hits and I'm doing the same thing every day. But by then it was, you know, after about a month, I started the, the program in April and I, I, I go five, six, seven times a week, just depending. And, you know, and, and I've got this whole new group of friends and it's a, you can really tell through the pandemic when the band's not playing, when, you know, that kind of, you know, electricity's not happening. It's kind of, woke me up a little bit to see who's reaching out, who's not, who's yeah, in but it's, life, you know, 
Yeah, but it's like your sense of well-being's got to come from here. It can't yeah. come from shows. It can't come from anything external, right? It's got to come from inside. And that's the best part and the best thing that I learned during the pandemic is that, you know, we are who we are as people when that pandemic started. Who you are at home that whole year, that's the person you are. The band doesn't make me, you know, none of that stuff makes me. But we get we get so in you know, we're so sucked into everyday life. And my, my life is at band. I work all day. I didn't have time to work on my problems. I didn't have time to do any of that. And the pandemic gave me that time. I had no choice. I'm like, okay, now let's talk about stuff that happened as a teenager. Let's talk about things that I did that I feel remorse for. Let's, you know, and these discussions started happening and really it, it changed my life, man. It, it really, made me think differently about a lot of things and the way I've dealt with a lot of things, but also knowing that I have to let those go. And those are in the past. And, um, you know, every day I just try to make, I worry about today. You know, I'm not thinking about tomorrow right now. I'm just focused on today and just trying to be of service to whoever I can and, and just be a good person all around. And, you know, it's not always easy to do. Because we get tested. There's a lot of upset people roaming the streets right now that aren't living their life that way. No, right, they're not. Uh, so I wanted to say another thing is that you know everybody, dude. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know everybody. Like, I don't care who it is on Instagram, what band they're from, what country they're from. I, I'll be looking in there. You're in the picture with them. <laughs> Man, it has been a dream. Right, I can't even tell you. I was a little kid into metal. You know, when when my mom shot and killed my dad at twelve, I, I got into heavy metal. I loved like Megadeth and Motley Crue and Motley Crue. Nikki Six was my first favorite bass player. But I remember I had these posters up on the wall, and I used to look at them every day and think, someday I'm going to meet those guys. You know, and there's different bands. And uh, now I'm friends with all of them. Of course. Yeah, that's it. You are. Yeah. There's something about, that's powerful. My girlfriend always says, she goes, I've never met anyone. Like, dude, I just picture myself doing it. And I just manifest it. And somehow I cross paths with someone and I meet them. And dude, relationships take a long time to develop. And a lot of these people I met in the 90s, and I wasn't close with them in the 90s. It wasn't till after that. And hanging with people over and over and you know and when when you're around that the scene you kind of get to know the other guys in the other bands and actors and whoever else and that's something that we don't have a lot of in Denver and there's been a few bands that have made it out of here um, that have become popular and stuff and we know them I mean but it's it's just we don't have an industry here that's like that so I was very thankful to have those opportunities in the nineties to meet these guys. And I always tell them the story too. I was like, Oh, when I was a little kid, I would look up thinking I was going to shake your hand one day, you know? And it's just like, it's one of those weird things and music's a powerful thing. It's brought many people into my life. I never anticipated right. and it, it's just powerful. Cool. Hey, I'm, a, I'm on the podcast, buddy. <laughs> Go to timeout. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's playing his video game and he came down. He probably wants, I don't know, macaroni and cheese or something. Yeah, 
right? Yeah. But, uh, but well, yeah, man, uh, I can I can honestly say, Bryce, I have lived a dream. Like if everything stopped today, it's my experiences. Like face, you know, the social media is ten percent of what I've got to experience and do, and I'm so grateful for all these friends and people in my life and guys like you and Chris and all my, you know, Denver friends and stuff. And it's, uh, it's been great seeing you turn your life around. Thank you. It was a trip. <laughs> oh, I remember. It's been a yeah. trip. Yeah. Yeah. You're a different person. And that's, oh, yeah. that's, what, that's what this program does. It, it, my first year, I can remember living in LA and six months after being sober, I was the first few months I stayed with a friend out there and I, he had this huge house. I mean, he was like, you know, he was like the Tommy boy kind of, you know, um, he inherited a gas pipeline company or something. I don't know. He, he lived in this big house and he said, Oh, you can stay with me and come out here. And I remember walking outside in the front one day and it was raining and I was like, I can smell the rain. And I was like, there's somebody cutting the grass. I'm like, I can smell the grass being cut. I hadn't smelled that in years. And I realized I was had so much alcohol and whatever else I was putting in my body going in, my senses were dead and they were starting to come back alive. And I could smell things and and uh it was the weirdest thing to think, wow, I, I feel I'm starting to feel alive again. Yeah. I'm not living that daily routine of like waking up, I'll never drink again, and then that night you're out with everybody. It's like <laughs> yeah. How many times do you say that? I drink. I don't know. I was such a late stage alcoholic for so many years that I never said that. Uh, I had this aha moment being in a meeting. This woman said that her husband left her. And so for like a week, she drank the way she always wanted to. And I had this like revelation that I drank the way I wanted to for decades, two decades. Uh, like nothing slowed me down. Nothing was going to slow me down. So I, I was in such a fog for months after I yeah. finally got sober. I was dying. The doctor said, you're dying. I give you a year to live if you don't stop drinking. And wow. I couldn't I couldn't stop. I kept drinking. I drank for well over a year. I'd lost the power of choice. I just kept drinking. It's like I knew I was dying, but it's like every day it's like I'm not going to die today, right? I'm just going to get drunk today. Yeah, right. And it just went on and it just went on and it just went on like Groundhog Day. And so, yeah, when the fog, because I think I was like, you know, you get like wet brain sort of, right? And so it took me a couple years to kind of like wake up and uh, have those experiences like you're talking about, like just smelling grass or, you know, like when you're in a room and like you can see the sunlight coming through the window and the dust and you like focus on a piece of dust and everything goes out of focus. You know what I mean? Like that kind of like. You mean natural senses that a human being should have? Yeah, what like what other people that? call life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember being a little kid and and riding my bike and living in Kentucky and smelling the way it smells outside and all that. And I man, I, I swear I didn't smell those like scents for for years. And but now now I catch myself looking at the sunsets. I lived in Tampa for years, so I was always out in St. Pete watching the sunset and just, you know, taking the day in and feeling just grateful for everything that's that's happened in my life. Even on the bad days, you gotta be thankful that we're here. Yeah, dude. 
recently, like I said, I've been traveling. I went down to New Orleans. I was driving through swamps, like actual swamps, like like crying because it was so beautiful. I was in Arizona a few weeks ago, driving to Sedona, like crazy beautiful, right? Yeah. Like in Nashville, super beautiful. And uh, like all these like weird experiences. And I know it's just normal. That's <laughs> That's the thing for me that, you know, I never got a chance as a young man to travel. We, we didn't go anywhere. We didn't do family trips. And that first samples tour was so eye-opening, seeing all of the East Coast in, you know, in a few month period. And I was just like, I mean, I was so amazed. And that's been the best thing about playing in the bands is just going to these places and seeing all these places that are unknown and, I never would have known about if I weren't playing music and meeting all these people. And it's just been amazing, man. So when are you going to start playing again? I saw you have a gig. It's coming up like eight days from now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have um, three shows. It's been tough to get booked again um, coming out. Cause everyone's trying to get booked, oh. especially in the places that we play. They're smaller. So there's a lot more bands playing that, but we play clubs and theaters and, we're playing with the flock of seagulls next Friday. And I think we're playing a private and then we play in Indianapolis and then we fly home. We go out and do a couple shows and then yeah. come home. And yeah, we, but you know, it's, it's pretty scattered through the fall. So I have a lot of time home and um, you know, we're uh, probably going to stay in Denver a little longer and, you know, we were thinking about moving, but you know, it's, it's uh it's beautiful, man. I have a killer view here and, you know, I just love, I'm, I'm at peace with Colorado now. Yeah. Nice I wasn't when I came back though. Yeah. So, but Stacy works here, right? Yeah. She just signed a new contract here. So we'll, we'll be here a little longer, but we were, we were looking at some other places oh. to go. Yeah. Uh, just like something different. Yeah. I hear you. Well, right on dude. It was always nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Bro. You sort of inspired this. Did you know that? Because we, I, I remember the pandemic was on and I was bored. I was like, I'm just going to start talking to people. And they mean you talked. And I was like, you know, that felt kind of natural. Maybe I should try to hit up some other rock stars. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been fun. I, for the pandemic, I was like interviewing friends of mine for a month. I saw you. Yeah. And then it just became so much work. And, uh, you no, know, it is. I, I started to feel the, the effects of the pandemic and I was doing them like every other day. And I just started to feel the effects of being worn down and from the pandemic and figuring out like, what is my life going to be this year? And it's, it was very unusual. So I actually stopped doing that. And, uh, but I've always thought I might do it again, but I'm glad you're doing it. I saw you were doing it and, uh, it's powerful. Well, this is kind of my thing. Like I, I don't know. When I first got sober, I did the Bryce Hancock show and I just was interviewing people, but I had no intention. I had no reason for doing it. And now I, you know, have this treatment center and like, I'm focused, like I am driven to like, you know, be successful and help a lot of people and make the treatment center grow. So we're making a lot of moves. We're going in network with all the insurance companies. We're probably opening up some residential houses. And, um, so we're, a. uh, uh medium intensity residential program right now. And I just want to get out there and I want to like reach interventionists and, uh, you know, ethical programs and yeah. educational consultants And this like fits in, right. It's like, I'm interviewing 
sober celebrities and, you know, like yourself and, you know, visionaries and thought leaders and people that are interested in wellness and recovery. And it makes sense that I'm doing this. Now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let, let me ask you this, Bryce. Yeah. And this is something I get a lot of. What does someone do if they want to get help? I mean, what, I mean, you've got your, your houses and, and your, your, uh, you know, uh, recovery centers. I mean, what, what, what do you recommend to people that, that want to get help? I honestly think everyone's different. Um, you know what they should do if they want to call and talk to us, they can talk to me or they can talk to Jill. We'll suss it out. We'll talk to them. What do you want to do? How bad are you? Do you need detox? Do you need residential? Do you need, do, what kind of insurance do you have? I hate to say it, but that's important, right? Like that determines like, you know, the insurance card in your wallet, they have a list of what they're going to pay for because these services are expensive. Um, if you don't have any insurance and you don't have any resources, there's still ways to get clean and sober. There's always a way to do it. You just need to reach out and someone like me or Jill will direct you to where you need to go. Uh, and it's also, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of times it's like, if you don't have a lot of resources, it's kind of how bad you want it. Yeah. You know, you it get how bad you it. Yeah. it's how bad you want it. And the, and the fact that you're what you're willing to do for it. And I'll tell you this. I was willing to do anything to feel good again. I was willing to do anything to have my music career back again. And it's all happening. I'm proof. It, it, it can happen. Yeah. Do I want it to be bigger? Yeah, sure. But hey, I'm glad it's here. You know, I'm glad I'm, I'm living the experience. And I always tell people just to reach out and start talking to people. And it's it's hard so hard for people to reach out and say hey man i need help with this and it's it's something it's very powerful but you know i've always like i say I, i've been blown away at the amount of people that reach out that i never sus suspected would have an issue because we don't know what people no, you don't know and you hide it that's part of the you know that's part of the disease right what i know what doesn't work and that's doing nothing Right. Or continuing to do what you're doing, it will kill you eventually because that's what it does. The disease wants us dead. And I know it's hard, like when you're like in active addiction to think, well, I want to be like Rich Ross. You can't get there in a day, but you can reach out for help and kind of stop the downward slide. And then you can kind of like go back up that direction, right? Yeah, to me, it's like momentum. It's like once I got through six months, I was like, okay, I want to see what a year feels like. And then I get to a year and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then I get to two years and that's when things really started taking off for me. Yeah. And, but it also it was a, a risk. It's tough. I packed up and moved. Somebody said, Hey, you should just sell everything you have and, and move. And I did. And who does that? I mean, I owned a house in Islands Ranch. I I mean, I had a good life here, but I I wasn't fulfilled inside like I wanted. I wanted experience. I wanted to have joy in my life. And I wasn't getting it here at that time. But change of scenery is always a good thing. And you yeah. can always go back. And here I am. Yeah, you can <laughs> always go back, right. But you got to let go of certain things. Like, you know, we hold on to things like, and they're yeah. good things. But when you're holding on to things, there's no room for that next thing to come into your life. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And, and you know, spiritual growth is, is painful. Okay. And, and people are scared to really put heart and soul into stuff these days. 
whether it's work or you know anything that's that's going to be a risk i mean this is is your life this is and and it's it's work to to be sober is a lot of work and especially playing in a band dealing with all the characters i have to deal with uh it, it sometimes it gets overwhelming but that's why the nashville thing wasn't the best fit for me so when i saw a way out of there i i definitely took it mm-hmm. you know everyone drinks out there so mm. it's like the drinking capital it's part of the lifestyle it's part of the culture yeah. well when they're singing songs about it and they're you know every video is them doing shots and stuff it's like you know what i've been there and done that and, and that's that's not what i'm looking for i would rather not play music than go go back to that kind of lifestyle but I don't have to do that now. I mean, I just found the alternate and it was out there. Yeah. It's looking. Yeah. My father's convinced that uh, when, when I started playing guitar, that's, <laughs> that was the beginning of the end, which I don't know if that's true. I'm pretty sure I was an alcoholic before I started drinking, but he's convinced <laughs> music, you know. It's the only job that you can go out and drink and do drugs. And well, it makes sense, right? It's part of the appropriate things. You can, I mean, you can live this lifestyle that gets you fired from any other place. And it's the one thing I'm trying to change. And I, I, I try to watch what I say now. You know, I've never really had a filter. And it's like, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or offend anyone. And it's not all about me anymore. And that's where the, you let go of the the selfish nature. We it, it's weird. Do you notice when you're sober, you really see it in a lot of other people that that who aren't practicing those principles. You can spot people suffering almost. It's it's weird. It's I see people that I'm like, oh man, I can't imagine what their life is like at home. Yeah. Never thought of that before. Yeah, I'm just grateful I don't have to live like that anymore. Yeah, for sure. Well, you're doing great things, Bryce. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. You're awesome, dude. Uh, thank you for coming on and chatting with me. Anytime. All right. Good luck out there. And maybe uh, you can send me some of your sober rock star friends and they'll come on and talk to everybody. Yep. Too. I got you, man. I got a ton of guys for you. All right. All right, brother. It's Ross. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Have a great night. All right. All right. Bye-bye.